This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Hey everyone, welcome back to another season of The Science of Beauty. I'm Jenny Bailly, Allure's Executive Beauty Director. On this podcast, we dive deep into the science behind beauty and the products we're always talking about here at Allure. This season, we've got a new-ish voice joining us on the show. Hey there, I'm Diana Mazzone, Allure's Senior Beauty Editor, and I am thrilled to be joining Jenny on this season of The Science of Beauty. You guys might recognize Diana's beautiful voice from our sister pod, The Inside Story. We are so excited to have her on board of the Science of Beauty this season as we take on a very big topic, hair. Yeah, hair is so personal, and I feel like there's more confusion than ever about what products to use for your hair type and what's really worth investing in. Today, we're talking about an ingredient that's in a lot of beauty products. Skincare, makeup, and yes, the stuff you use on your head. But this level of popularity can also bring increased scrutiny. This ingredient has been the subject of some scary press in recent years. And if you've showered or moisturized or put on maybe a little foundation today, well, it's probably on your body right now. That's right. We're talking about silicones. And how maybe they're not so bad as some people made them out to be. Okay, Jenny. So it feels like every other week in the beauty industry, there's an ingredient that has become taboo. Right. Like all of a sudden, this is the worst thing you could ever use. But in most cases, it feels totally out of the blue. And that ingredient is in half the stuff that you're already using. Yeah, and silicone definitely had its moment last year. That silicone scrape test went viral. It was all over social media, especially TikTok. And it sounds about as misguided as the milk crate challenge, although I don't want to prejudge. Yeah, this one did not involve heights or physical danger, but it did have its own set of problems. Uh, It all seemed to stem from a TikTok posted by a hairstylist. So in this video, she has a section of her hair and then she's got these shears and she opens them up and then she scrapes one of the blades down along that section of hair. And there's this white substance coming out. It looks almost like plasticky. And the caption says, this is what drugstore products can do to your hair. Say no to silicones. I feel like she's singling out drugstore products, but silicone is in a lot of really fancy products. Yeah, there was a lot of this debate going on in the comment section, and the video itself went viral. I think it has over 10 million views at this point. But no one could seem to really decide for sure if that was actually silicone coming off the hair shaft or if it was just keratin from the hair cuticle. Some people were scraping their own hair, and then other people started posting videos debunking the scraping. Silicone started started something here with this video. It's intense. 
And then it still feels like there isn't a clear answer to the obvious question, which is what is that white stuff? Is it silicone? Could it be silicone? There's a lot of confusion around this topic, and I feel like we should call in someone to set the record straight. We are in luck because today we've got a true expert on silicones, and he is here to help answer these big questions, cosmetic chemist Perry Romanowski. Hello, and thank you for inviting me. So Perry, we have a lot of questions for you about silicones, but first, what do you make of those scrape tests all over TikTok? Well, you know, this is an old stylist trick, which uh, has been used for decades. But what you're seeing there is somebody is scraping the actual hair protein off of their hair. Hair is uh, has a structure uh, where it has an outer layer called the cuticle. You can think of them as shingles on a roof. You scrape it like that and you're actually physically removing pieces of keratin. You're not removing plastic or silicone or any of your hair care ingredients, but what you're actually doing is damaging your hair. And it's not a good idea to do this. <laughs> and you were saying it's a, a, a hairstylist trick that's been around for decades. Why, why would a hairstylist do that? Is it in an effort to you know, convince someone to buy a product that will remedy this situation? Yes, exactly that. It's also in an effort to uh, convince people not to buy drugstore brands. Uh, typically, what that the claim originally was that it was uh, that a drugstore brand is leaving plastic on your hair, and that was supposed to demonstrate the plastic that you're getting, and that would convince you to buy the uh, the product from the salon. But the products that you buy at a drugstore from big name manufacturers, they're not leaving plastic on your hair. They're not leaving silicone that you can scrape off your hair. Uh, it, that is just actually your hair protein. And to your point, Perry, about, about drugstore products, and on the video, it does say, you know, this is what drugstore products are doing to your hair. But silicones are an ingredient that are in salon products, prestige hair care products as well, right? Absolutely. In fact, the often the companies that make the salon products are the same companies that are making your store products and they'll often use the same raw materials. So there's not really a big difference and there's certainly not a chemical difference. Everybody in the industry uses all the same chemical manufacturers and there's no special ingredients that a salon brand could get that a standard drugstore brand couldn't get. Got it. So first, let's back up a bit. What are silicones? Silicones are a class of ingredients that are derived from silicon. Now, most of the ingredients that you find in cosmetic ingredients are derived from carbon. And silicone actually happens to be below uh, carbon in the periodic table. So they have very similar characteristics. But what we do with silicones is we make them in reaction with oxygen, we can make these long chains of silicones. And the reason that they are used in cosmetics is because they can make a, a surface is very shiny and they can add a lot of slip. They're much more slippery and slick than even carbon oils. Uh, most oils are based on carbon. So silicone actually gives you more slip and it gives you more shine than you can achieve with carbon-based ingredients. That's why they're so great for hair care products and for skincare products too. Do you know anything about the history of silicones? Like when were they kind of discovered to be something that, that might be good to use in, in skincare and hair care? Most of the important cosmetic ingredients started to be invented around the 1930s and 1940s. Silicones really hadn't come around until the 50s. And so they're a more recent molecule. 
and for that reason they have not been employed as much they're uh a little more difficult to produce or at least they were more difficult to produce because they weren't derived from uh, some sort of uh, oil that already occurred and when we think of other types of silicones like my i have a silicone bath mat i have a silicone face tool that i use to wash my face with what's the difference between that physical material and what's actually in our skincare and hair care products those things are all based on the same sort of silicon ingredients and, and molecules, but a placemat or a tool is uh, based on a polymer that has long chains that are then connected, and so they can make a mesh. Uh, if you think of uh, a silicone as a popsicle stick, one could be a single popsicle stick, but if you uh, mashed a bunch together and connected them uh, in, in sort of a grid-like fashion, that would make more of a solid. And that's the, that's the main difference. It's the uh, interconnected uh, molecular bonds that make the differences. And is the silicone in found in breast implants? And I know there's been you know controversy there, and silicone breast implants were banned for a while. Um, is that liquid silicone or gel silicone the same as what you would find in a, a beauty product? Those, those silicone fluids uh, can be the same. I mean, they're chemically they're made up of the same chemicals. Uh, they're not molecularly identical. They have different uh, different branching, but they all are based on yeah the silicone oxygen. Uh, molecular backbone. So I would say, yeah. And that gets into silicone injections too, which I know are not really advised, but it sounds like that too is probably just a different form of the same. I like that popsicle stick analogy. The reason silicones have been traditionally used is because they thought to have been pretty much biologically inert. Carbon-based molecules have been around with us, uh, you know, as we've evolved. And so our body has has these chemical pathways that sort of will interact with those. But silicones, we haven't really interacted with them. And so the idea is uh, in an injection, you put a silicone in, it's thought to be biologically inert. Now, whether that's true or not, um, mostly been proven that it, it is it is true that it's biologically inert, but it's still kind of an unknown question. Is it good to be biologically inert or bad? It's better to be biologically inert because that means it's not going to interfere with your body's metabolism, but it could build up in areas and, you know, that cause, cause problems. To veer off topic for a second, people used to do like silicone injections in their lips, but it was permanent. Like it wasn't like the hyaluronic acid injections that slowly devolve over time. The silicone was permanent. Is that because silicone is not biologically inert, so it doesn't get metabolized, but hyaluronic acid is biologically inert? Uh, the word inert means d doesn't react. So uh, hyaluronic acid is not biologically inert. Hyaluronic acid, the body has a way of producing that. And so anything that you would inject would eventually get into that system and be broken down the way hyaluronic acid is. The silicone you inject in there, and it's, you know, it's, it's, it'll just stay in your body. So I know you mentioned silicone in skincare and in hair care is still a bit of a new ingredient. There's a lot of innovation happening. But at what point did this kind of vilification happen? When did people start to question if this was something we should be using? From my read, I got into the industry in around 1992. Um, and I started to see this uh, silicone backlash Probably around the time of the silicone breast implant thing, that was 97, 98. Uh, I think that's when Dow Corning was going through that. 
Um, but it really didn't hit the cosmetic industry, I'd say, until the early 2000s. And I think that was it's more of a backlash out of the development of natural and green beauty. Uh, because silicones are not looked at as natural. <laughs> they're, they're synthetic. I feel like we often hear that silicone in your skincare products is going to stop your skin from breathing, which is odd because I don't think your skin has a respiratory system. But in a hair context, we actually often hear kind of the same thing, that silicones are going to smother your hair. Um, and there's a lot of talk about buildup. What is the real story there? Silicone is really good at making films. Now, we talked about the mats and the way you could uh, create those plastic mats or silicone plastic mats is through using silicone chains that inter interbond. Now, when you put a silicone on your skin surface, a tiny uh, invisible film is left on your skin. It's great for uh, making the skin look shiny. Uh, it's great for protecting you from uh, other chemicals. It's great for things like uh, uh, a sunscreen where you want to keep a film on the skin where it's protecting. So for the most part, that that is why silicones are used because they're great at creating this film. But the idea that this film creates then this, uh, you know, saran wrap plastic sheath around your body, that is a that is a huge exaggeration and that's not borne out by any kind of evidence. There's no evidence that silicone is going to clog your pores. And in fact, when silicone manufacturers create these uh, molecules, they do test that kind of thing. And so properly formulated, silicone can be a, a perfectly good ingredient to use in products. And the reason companies use silicones is because they make products that consumers like better. So silicones are something that we might miss if they weren't in there, then we would we would feel the difference, it sounds like. Yeah, I mean, if unless you forget how good products used to be, I mean, there are there are changes. For example, like hairsprays right now that you use are not nearly as good as the hairsprays you could use in the 1990s. And that's mostly because um, of regulations uh, with volatile organic compounds and we've had to reformulate. But when you reformulate a, a hairspray, you know, you had to add water so it doesn't work as good. But, you know, that's an environmental change that uh, consumers have decided was was a good trade off. And so uh, but, you know, there is a they just don't work as well. <laughs> so, and I think that's what's going to happen if you are using uh, silicone free products um, on on some level, on like a on a lab measurement level of skin moisturization and feel, they're just not going to work as well. Well, correct me if I'm wrong, but I mean, you want a bit of a film on your hair if you're seeking smoother, shinier hair because that cuticle is is fragmented. And by having a film, it, it smooths it out, which allows light to reflect and gives that healthier look. I mean, that seems desirable. Absolutely. That's why that is the strategy of using hair conditioners. What you want to do is uh, you want to put a film on on the hair. Conditioners don't work unless you leave something behind. And so traditionally what that has been is cationic surfactants, you know, citrimonium chloride, behine trimonium methyl sulfate. But uh, silicones also can leave a film, dimethicone, cyclomethicone. Actually, cyclomethicone is an interesting ingredient in that it can 
deposit on the hair, but it evaporates off the same way that water evaporates off. So that's what that's an ingredient you can get a temporary effect from the silicone, and then it eventually just evaporates off and it's gone. Unfortunately, it shows up in places like Antarctica, so you know, so it's not great for the environment. Uh, but for your hair, yeah, it's it's a good one to give you the temporary effect, and then it evaporates away. Allure has we have a clean standard because, as we all know, clean doesn't mean anything. So a standard that we formulated just to make clear, like when we at Allure use the word clean, this is what we mean. So we don't consider silicones unclean except for the cyclic silicones because there is some evidence that they can accumulate in the water supply. How common are the cyclic? I mean, cyclomethicone is probably the most common, uh, cyclopentosiloxane, and there's like a D4, D5, D6. So there's really three main different kinds that are used. And what are the, the rest of silicones called? Like there's cyclic and there's... Uh, there's straight chains. So the cyclic silicone is a it's, it's a circle. It makes a ring. Uh, but the straight change ones are silicone oxygen. It's just in a straight line. And that would be like dimethicone is a, a straight chain. Dimethicone and pretty much anything without the word cyclo in it is a straight chain polymer. Okay. And dimethicone would appear on an ingredient list literally as D-I-M-E-T-H-I-C-O-N-E. It will always appear that yeah. way. Got it. It doesn't hide. Right. Exactly. You'll you'll find other versions of that, like uh, amodimethicone and phenyltrimethicone, and those are just uh, just what happens is if you can imagine um, a dimethicone as that popsicle stick, right? That straight chain popsicle stick. Uh, when you put a phenyl group that off coming off of that popsicle stick might be the, well, this phenyl group, and it goes along. Or uh, trimethicone, uh, there might be three different substitutions, so you'd have three different different types of things coming off of that. And each of those things can make uh, the molecule, uh, say, more water-soluble, so it'll be easier to rinse away. Um, or they might uh, make it the, the film a little bit harder, so it'll stay in the hair to help to hold the hair a little bit better. Uh, so those are the main kinds of things when they put a, we call them derivatives. So when they put make a derivative of uh, dimethicone, uh, that's why they're doing it, to try to change the characteristics a little bit. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Welcome back to the science of beauty. And silicones versus oils... As beauty reporters, when we get a product that's a hair oil and then you turn it around, you look at the ingredients and like the first or second ingredient is dimethicone. Um, right. And then at the kind of the very that's end the, of the ingredient list, there's some oils. Um, that was a whole, uh, that, that always amused me. Uh, the whole argan oil, Moroccan oil craze was, oh, it's so great. And it's like, you flip it over, it, you know, it's just silicones and they put a drop of the oil in there. And is that because if you really were just selling more or less a bottle of argan oil, it would be incredibly thick and greasy? Like you couldn't really use it as a, as a styler? 
Well, uh, yeah, uh, like uh, most natural oils are going to have the consistency of olive oil. Actually, you know, most of them, most of them have the same chemical composition of something like olive oil. Um, and so they all kind of work the same. But, you know, they have different names and the names they have where the oil's from and the plant and those have different connotations in the consumer's mind. And so uh, from a formulating standpoint, what you want to do is make a product that works the best and then you want to help support the marketing story. So you drop in some of these oils so you can, you can tell the story. And that's an effective way to sell cosmetics. <laughs> a non-effective way would be to just take the pure oil and give it to consumers because they won't like how it works. So Perry, we have um, we've explained now what is really happening in these viral TikTok videos with the hair scraping, but there are many other um, facts or unfacts circulating on social media about silicones, and we would love to run them by you so you can weigh in on truth versus fiction. Are you ready? Bring them on. Okay. We often hear that water-soluble silicones are better than oil-soluble silicones because they won't build up on your hair. Is this true or false? Well, it's kind of both. It is true that they won't build up on your hair. Unfortunately, what also happens is that they rinse away if you're using them in a rinse-out product, so they don't stay behind and provide you the benefits that silicones would provide you. So yes, they won't build up, but no, they're not more beneficial than the oil-soluble ones. The strategy, what you really want to do uh, when you're formulating is get the silicones to, to remain on the surface. And so in a product like a, a body wash or a, a shampoo, if you put a water-soluble silicone in there, it's going to go down the drain with all the other detergents and it's not going to have the benefit. So in terms of hair, would it make sense to use, look for oil-soluble silicones in like a rinse-off conditioner and water-soluble silicones in a leave-on styler? Yes, that, that would be the good, that would be a good strategy. And is there a way, an easy way for a consumer to know, okay, does this product, is the silicone in this product oil or water soluble? Because I would have no idea. Well, one of the tricks to understanding if there's silicone in your product is look for the, the ending of the word says cone, C-O-N-E. So a, a product like dimethicone or amodimethicone, those would be silicones. If you wanted a a water-soluble version, instead of the word cone, it's uh, conol, so C-O-N-O-L. The O-L refers to it like it's an alcohol, and that means it's water-soluble. So dimethicanol is the water-soluble version, where dimethicone is the water-insoluble version. So if you're looking for water-soluble, look for the O-L at the end of your silicone. Right. Okay. Because I knew that if it had PEG in front of it, that too typically means it's water soluble. So this is another good clue. I feel so educated. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> I love when I learn something totally new. Okay, Diana, what's our next one? Let's try to stump him. Yes. Okay. Well, this one may have been answered a little bit in your previous previous question, but true or false, you can use silicone in the last styling product you put on your hair, but it shouldn't be in any of your other products. I would say that is false. It can be in all of your products if you like, uh, but it is probably best delivered from your last product if you're going to leave in the product. You want to create that film in there and the amount of products that you put on your hair in a single day or a single usage, that's not going to build up on your hair to an extent that it causes problems. 
And when you wash your hair, that is also going to wash out your silicone. So if you want to be very careful, I'd suggest in your shampoos, you know, you avoid the silicones. And if you're going to put on silicones for the rest of your hair routine, your conditioner, for example, uh, it often works out well. Use a, a clarifying or normal shampoo that doesn't have silicones in it. And then you can use silicones in the rest of your routine. And that's going to prevent any kind of buildup problems. Okay, the next one I would say is one of the more frightening claims that we have seen about silicones um, on various social media platforms, but it is that silicones clog your hair follicles, so at your scalp, and can lead to hair loss or thinning. Is this true or false? There's no evidence that this is true. Uh, this has been looked at extensively and silicones do not cause hair loss. They do not clog up your pores. Just doesn't happen. Okay, definitive. I like it. <laughs> Are there any other myths that you want to bust, Perry, now that we have you here? Well, I think one of the uh, most prevailing myths that I've heard about silicones is that they're they're toxic or they're dangerous for people. And the reality is they are a non-toxic ingredient. They are safety tested before used. One of the issues, of course, is uh, that they could uh, build up in the environment in places that we don't necessarily want it to go. Uh, but that's true of a lot of the ingredients in our beauty products. There's nothing extra special about silicones that are more dangerous for the environment either. So as far as the ingredient safety, they're safe ingredients, so you don't have to worry about that. Uh, and the impact that they have on the environment is about the same as for other uh, cosmetic products. So for this episode, we're ending things on a slightly different note. Yes, in honor of silicone and all the misunderstandings, we're sharing our favorite beauty myths. Jenny, what is a common misconception that you love to correct? I love to correct the myth that a cold water rinse will make your hair shinier. We have all gotten this unappealing offer at the shampoo bowl at the salon and we are told our hair will just be so glossy if we submit to this cold water but in fact it's just going to make your hair and your whole body colder the rationale behind this one has been that icy water closes the cuticle of your hair so it's flat and more light reflective which is a stretch since, you know, as we have discussed on this podcast before, your hair is dead. So I'm not sure how the cuticles would be like, ooh, it's chilly up there. Let's shut her down. <laughs> but the myth has persisted. So now I would like to point our audience toward an actual study. Hopefully this is going to do the trick. An actual study that arrived a couple years back that pours cold water on that theory. Chemists at TRI Princeton which is an independent research facility not far from me here in the beautiful state of New Jersey, rinsed hair in water that was at least 98 degrees Fahrenheit or below 65 degrees. And they found that cold water had zero shine enhancing effects. And wait for it, warm water actually made hair look glossier. The researchers said they thought that maybe cold water didn't rinse residue off strands as well as warm water could. So everyone is now armed with actual scientific evidence that they do not need to rinse their hair with cold water. Wow. 
Well, mine is not nearly as, you know, I don't have the scientific research to back this up, but um, I feel like one of the biggest hair myths is that your hair gets used to a shampoo or a conditioner. Mm-hmm. Um, and I believe it's really just because your hair needs change over time. And if you keep using that smoothing shampoo, then maybe you're no longer concerned about frizz and maybe you're then concerned about volume. So I think that's a big one, though I do not have any chemists at TRI Princeton to back me up on that one. But I do think you're right. That's more of a psychological study too, that like then your problem is taken care of, so you just move on to another one. Totally, totally. But that's the biggest hair one in my mind. I mean, we could do a whole episode on sunscreen myths and other other beauty myths, but in hair, that's that's on my mind. Okay, so I feel like we did some serious, important myth busting there. Totally. And I hope we helped some of our listeners sort out their issues with silicones in the process. Tune in next week for the truth about two-in-ones, the how behind hair masks, and everything you ever wanted to know about conditioners. If you enjoyed the show, make sure to rate it and leave us a review. And subscribe. It helps new listeners find us. You can find additional information and episode references in the show notes. Follow Lore on Instagram at A-L-L-U-R-E. Follow me, Jay Bayi, on Instagram. That's J-B as in boy, A-I-L-L-Y. And you can follow Diana at Diana Mazone. That is two N's in Diana and two Z's in Mazone. On the Allure and Condé Nast team, producer is Chloe Sabin. Associate producer is Deprina Gadbolo. Director of Global Podcast is Nico Steele. An executive producer is Megan Shibona. The editorial project leads are Soini Driscoll and Monica Perry. Lead researcher is Westry Green. And the theme music is by Asha Ivanovich. And on the Wonder Media Network team, lead producer is Maddie Foley. Supporting producer is Sundas Hassan Noli. Production manager is Emily Rudder. And production assistant is Carmen Borca Carrillo. Executive producer is Jenny Kaplan.